0: It's an honor for me to be here with you. I am from Kentucky. I also live part time uh, in uh, Chicago. And uh, we have two feet of snow right now and 25 below wind chill. And you guys are soft. (laughs) It is so incredibly beautiful out here today. This is amazing. This is like paradise for me. And uh, to get to come to Crossroads is always a treat for me. Uh, uh, Chuck Boer is one of my favorite people on the planet in this church. Is one of my favorite churches. I, I got to come um, uh, quite a few years ago, actually, back when you had the purple church. I don't know where it is uh, on the property here, but it was a long time ago. And then I got to do Generate uh, last, last year and got to smash a mirror all over the stage. There's still pieces of glass up here. Let me clean this up. Uh, but it's, it's a treat to get to come back and, and be with you guys. Just God is doing so many cool things uh, in, in this church you know, just to see the sun today, it's just a treat for me. And I think of, I think of summer I long for summer. Um, you know, summertime has got so many cool activities. I don't know how many of you guys are into boating. Got any boaters in here? You love doing a boating thing where you got, you know, skiing or wakeboarding or my wife loves the pontoon. That's her speed. Um, uh, I, I've never been much of a boater. I love to get out on the water, whether it's a lake or river or whatever. But my, my experience with boating has basically been like canoes uh, I was in a I was in student ministry for a long time and it seemed like uh, whenever we would take a retreat with a junior junior higher high school students uh, the place where we went always had like a lake and canoes on it and that's not exactly a good combination like junior hires and canoes is not really great you spend most of your day getting people out of the water and turning canoes back over and that type of thing but I remember this one particular retreat that we took And uh, we were going to go down a river in canoes, kind of a floating trip. And uh, this guy who was an expert canoeist was, you know, telling us all the stuff we needed to know about safety and how to steer and how to paddle on which side and when to do that. And if you swamp your canoe, how to turn it over and all the safety stuff. And then he looked at our crowd and he noticed that most of them uh, were high school students. And he said, can I just say something to you guys? Because I've been canoeing for a long, long time. And any expert canoeer would tell you this. The best way to canoe is to go upstream. He goes, now I know that you know, the easy way to do it is just to go with the flow. You put your canoe in the river and you just go with the flow. And if you go with the flow long enough, you're going to end up basically where everything else ends up. He said, but if you turn it around and paddle upstream, you'll see things you've never seen before. You'll see wildlife who are not expecting to see anyone coming upstream. and said, if you keep paddling as far as you can go, you'll end up at a rare place where very few people end up. You'll end up at the source of the, the, the pure water. And then he looked at him and he said, I just want to tell you guys something. This is a good time in your life to turn your life around and paddle upstream. Don't just keep going with the flow. And I'm going, man, this guy's good. He's a canoe guy, and he's just, wow, this is is awesome, you know? And I never forgot that. In fact, I even wrote it down in the margin of my Bible, and I wrote it down in Matthew chapter 5. That's what we're going to study today, Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of this Sermon on the Mount, the words written in red, because Jesus said more upstream-type stuff than anyone has ever said. The words out of Jesus' mouth were always countercultural, weren't they? I mean, Jesus said stuff that left you scratching your head. He said, okay, you want to be first, then you need to go last, right? He said, you want to be great, then you ought to throw a towel over your arm and serve. Jesus was always saying countercultural stuff. Want to save your life? Well, then lose your life i mean he was always saying things like that those words written in red in the new testament of the bible but never more did jesus say more countercultural, upstream type of stuff than in this sermon on the mount it's called the sermon on the mount as as you can see that when jesus stood up on a mountainside people started to gather to hear him and he began to teach them and he said these words that are now famously written in red now, Jesus, when he said these words, I think he looked at the crowd and he said, you guys want to be happy? I mean, really happy? I think everybody's nodding their head. He goes, do, do you really want deep soul satisfaction? They're like, yeah, yeah. I think he said, you know what? You're not going to find it just going with the flow. You've got to turn your life around. You've got to paddle upstream so you get to the source of true happiness and deep soul satisfaction. Now, I've been looking at this passage for number of years now I've been I mean, chewing into my mind and I've been trying to live it out in my life. And, I, and I've been trying to help people through these, these, these decisions to turn their life around. And I may, I may have this all wrong. You know, I may get to heaven and Jesus goes, that's not what I meant at all in Matthew chapter five. You've got that wrong. But, but I, but I think the at least the way God has used it in my life and lots of other people's lives that I've seen uh, especially those that have battled with addictions and things like that. I, I think that perhaps this is what Jesus was talking about. He gave us a pathway to find deep soul satisfaction and what we're really yearning for. Because the truth is, a lot of times we get in trouble and we start going uh, uh, you know, a wrong direction because we're, we're searching for something that will deeply satisfy us, right? And we got some kind of hunger in there that we're trying to fill and we go to lots of, lots of crummy places trying to find it and we end up empty. And I think when Jesus stood up that day on that mountainside, I think that Jesus knew exactly what he was going to say. I don't think that Jesus ever got up in front of people and just winged it. I don't think that Jesus stood up there that day and looked at the crowd and went, Oh man, there's a lot of people here. And what am I going to say? Happiness, that's a good topic. Um, You want to be happy? Then um, uh, be Poor in spirit. Yeah, that's it. Okay, what's next? I left my notes in the boat. Um, I don't think that Jesus was ever like that. I think that when Jesus stood up, he knew exactly the way we need to turn our life in the direction we need to go with our life. So he starts out, now the way I've kind of drawn this picture in my heart and in my head is by using a ladder. Because I think that Jesus uses these like steps, like rungs on a ladder, to say, you want to be happy in life? Here's where you start. And then that's what you build upon that. And then that's what you build upon that, and so forth. So the very first rung on the ladder, follow along with me there in Matthew chapter 5. The first words out of Jesus' mouth is that you want to be happy, you want to be deeply soul-satisfied, you want to be blessed in your life, then blessed are the what? Poor, poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You go, well, that's not exactly what I was expecting, but okay, Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Let's break that down a little bit. Give me, give me some synonyms for the word poor. This ought to be easy in our economy. Uh, Busted, bankrupt, destitute. You said that with conviction. Uh, impoverished, needy. Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, th- this is what I think Jesus is saying. Now, let's take, that, take those synonyms and let's now apply them to, uh, to the word spirit. Blessed are the busted, broken, impoverished, needy in spirit. I think what Jesus is saying is when you reach in your spiritual pockets and you turn them inside out, All you have are those little lint balls in there. Ever experienced that? He says it's a good day. It's a good day when you reach in your spiritual pockets and you realize you're busted. That you're spiritually bankrupt. It's a good day when you recognize you need God. That life on your own, not working so well. Blessed are you when you come to that realization. I think it's hard for us sometimes to admit that. We really need God in our life. I know it's hard for some of us guys. We have a trouble admitting anything that we're wrong or lost or anything like that. I mean, yesterday I had a wild day. We had a lot of snow back east and I was trying to get out here and I had to change airports and stuff. And I I packed my bag and my my wife said, don't forget to put it in the truck. I said, I got it. I it in the garage. got a shovel, snow shovel out, shovel to, you know what a snow shovel is? anyway i got a snow shovel out and i shoveled all the way to the to the truck and got in the truck drove an hour and a half to the airport got to the airport went oh my bag's in the garage so uh on the flight here i sat next to two great ladies and they told me how to get from ontario airport to to get to a coal store so i could at least go buy a shirt and so 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 i did uh late last night right before it closed and uh, then when I got to the airport there, I had to rent a little car. So I was at the rental counter and the guy goes, you need a GPS. I'm like, no. <laughs> and that's the reason I got to Kohl's right before it closed. <laughs> yeah, you see, we're like that, aren't we? No, I got it. I got it. I got it. Doing my life just fine. I don't really need any direction. I like call my own shots. I, I don't. Blessed are you. When you recognize you need God in your life. That without him, you're just going with the flow and you're going to end up lost. Now, Jesus says the next words. He says, blessed are you who what? What's he say? Blessed are you who mourn. Now, if he is laying these out in logical progression, it's blessed are you who mourn over what? The fact you just discover you're spiritually busted. Once you come to the realization that you have an emptiness in your life, that life without God is not where you need to be and the direction you're going is not the direction you want to live your life, It ought to do something inside of you. Have you ever cried over your sin? Ever cried over the condition of your soul, over your heart, over the pain it's caused you and caused lots of other people in your life? It's called brokenness. When you get there and you go, you know what, I... I'm broken in spirit now. I'm not just poor in spirit. I'm broken. Now, let me, let me give you a little disclaimer here. Because I work with quite a few people uh, in addictive processes, you know, recovery processes. Uh, my dad was a compulsive gambler and a recovering alcoholic. So I've, I've kind of worked through some steps and stuff. But this one's significant. Because there's a big difference between brokenness and misery. Some folks stay miserable, but they're not broken enough to say, I want to get well. And for instance, I was talking to a a mom of a 23 year old who's into drugs and alcohol and all kinds of crazy stuff and uh, really screwing up his life and lots of other people's lives. And she came to pray and tears are running down her face. And she said, my son is so broken. And then she told me how he continues to lie and manipulate and use other people and steal to keep his lifestyle going. And I said, so, man, with all due respect, I, wanna, I want you to know I'm saying this with as much grace as I can muster here. Your son is not broken. He's just miserable. There's a big difference. See, you can just be miserable and try to figure out ways to keep it going. Now, I know it's crazy. That's crazy, but that's what addictive behavior does. And even though change is hope, you fear the change so much that you just go back to the comfortable, uncomfortable way. That's It's crazy. It's crazy. But that's what we do. There's a big difference between being broken and miserable. And Jesus says, blessed are the broken. Blessed are the people that recognize they're spiritually busted, that they need God. And blessed are you when that does something inside of you where you say, you know what? I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to come to my senses. I want to turn toward home. And I want to let my father put me back together. Now, the third rung on this ladder is that step. What's it say? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. And blessed are the meek blessed are the meek. Now, when you hear the word meek, what comes to your mind? You know, weak, wimpy, pushover kind of thing comes to my mind, but that's not what the word meek means. In fact, it means just the opposite. The Greek word that's used there for the word meek literally meant to bridle wild horses, strength under control. It's when you come to God and say, God, okay, I'm spiritually busted. It's broken me on the inside. And God, I'm ready to let go of the reins and let you control my life. I want you to lead my life. You know, I like to drive. I like to have my hands at 10 and 2. I like to be in control. It was a good day when I uncurled my fingers and said, God, I'm sliding over. You drive my life. I want to humble myself before you and let you lead my life. And I'm telling you guys something from experience. You'll never have deep soul satisfaction in your life. You'll never be supremely happy from the inside out until you take those first three steps. Until you recognize you need God, you are broken over your sin, and you say, okay, God, I'm coming home, I want you to lead my life. If you do, oh, man, you're heading toward a life that God always dreamed that you would have. And I don't know, maybe this new year is the time where you go, okay, I want to take those three steps. Now, the fourth rung on this ladder, it says, after we come to to God and we say, okay, Jesus, I accept for what you did for me on the cross, and I want to humble myself and turn my life over to you. What's the fourth rung here? It says, blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst after God's right ways. Blessed are you when you get really hungry for this new life. You know, I find sometimes people get stalled right here because they come out of their brokenness, and they say, okay, God, you lead my life. But then God asks them to do some things. And he goes, well, I'm not really ready to do that. And God said, well, listen, if you really want to grow, if you really want to change, you're going to have to like get into my word. You're going to have to renew your mind to a new way of thinking and get new patterns because you've been thinking a certain way for so many years. There's not just a delete button in your head when you come to Christ. You've got to renew your mind. I like to think of it as re-wallpapering. You you guys, isn't wallpapering like the worst remodel job in the world I think that's what hell is going to be. Wallpapering, eternal wallpapering is what it's going to be. But I've learned that when you come to Christ, you've got to strip off all that old and start re-wallpapering your mind with God's truth. And when you get hungry after God's word, that's one of my prayers that through this series that you're going to do for the next eight years or whatever it's going to be a long series it sounds like but as you dig into these words written and read, that you would say god i just want to hunger after these i want to dissect them i want to circle things i want to make notes i want to highlight things god i want you to teach me what you mean here god i want you to show me how that relates to the way i relate with my friends and my family god i, I want to learn I, when you get hungry after god your life starts to change You see, there's a post and a tree. Both serve a purpose, but a post just basically sits in the ground and rots, right? What's a tree do? It sends its roots down deep and it draws up nourishment and it begins to grow and it produces fruit. And Jesus says, blessed are you when you get really hungry for God, when you get really hungry for this new life, for you will be filled. Isn't that cool? What you've been looking for is what you'll have. Now, I want you to notice something about these first four things, if you haven't already noticed. These first four rungs that Jesus talks about are all inside things, all internal things, kind of a preparation phase of life where you want to get your heart right. Now, these next four you're going to see are things that come out of our life, kind of a presentation phase of our life, and both are essential in life, preparation and presentation. You can't have one really without the other and call it an effective life. Now, take for instance, my wife, Debbie, she is awesome. You talk about a person that lives what I'm talking about. It's her. And God has given her just awesome gift of hospitality. You know, she just loves, she has the ability to make people feel at home. And it's more than just tact. You know, the definition of tact, don't you? Making people feel at home when you really wish they were. She, she, I have tact. She has the gift of hospitality. Uh, She just loves people and loves to have them in our home. And as a result, Debbie's a really good cook and stuff. And she loves doing that. And let's just say that one day she texts me at work and says, hey, listen, come home early. I kind of got home early myself, and I just want to just fix your favorite dinner. You know, oh, man, this is awesome, because my favorite dinner, I know this is weird, and this will tell you that I grew up in the South. But when I was a kid, and I'd be out playing ball and stuff, my mom would call me in for dinner. I loved it when I went home, and there it was. I'd have, like, two sausage patties, corn on the cob, uh, uh, mashed potatoes, green beans, macaroni and cheese, and uh fried apples and a glass of sweet tea with lemon in it just awesome i mean i loved that combination for some reason and debbie says i fixed that boyhood meal of yours i'm like oh this is awesome so i get home i open the front door and there she stands in this beautiful sexy black dress she's got little berry white music playing in the background (laughs) Got candlelight flickering in the dining room. The table is set with like china and silver and crystal, all of which she borrowed from someone. (laughs) She leads me by the hand over to the chair, sits me down the chair, begins to massage my shoulders. Now, all this is hypothetical, okay? (laughs) But I am blown away by this presentation. Now, the problem is she saw me driving down the street and went, oh, dinner she took it all threw it in one big pot stirred it up put it in a microwave nuked it for a couple of minutes and plops it on my plate and there it is corn cob tea bag, lemon everything just floating right there together now the presentation was amazing the preparation just a little lacking now say on the other hand she meets me at the door and she's got that green mud stuff on her face you know and got an old sweatshirt on, a can of Diet Pop, and she's kind of scratching her belly, and she burps and says, get in here, you're late. And I get in there, and the house is an absolute wreck. I'm stepping over toys and dirty diapers and all kinds of clutter all over the place. And, and I go, go into the kitchen. The kitchen's an absolute wreck as well. There are open cans and food slung everywhere and peelings laying everywhere. And, and the table is set with two paper plates and a paper towel torn in half for us to use as napkins and a two-liter bottle of generic pop that we're just going to swig out of, pass back and forth, you know. But she has been working all day on this dinner and she puts it on a plate and there it is just absolute perfection on the plate. But it's so gross in the place. I can't eat it. You see, both are essential. You have to have great preparation and great presentation as well. And and I know all kinds of Christ followers and I've been there where we try to do one or the other. A lot of us will just jump. Tell me what I need to do. Just tell me what I need to do. I don't want to worry about all the inside stuff. That's way too much hard work. I don't want to dig deep into my soul, that kind of stuff. Just tell me the way I'm supposed to behave. That's called Christian behavioralism. We just go, just give, me, give me a checklist. And so we try to just behave like God would want us to behave. And ends up, we just got a really shallow faith. We're just kind of faking it. We don't really know God. Because we haven't done the soulish work. We haven't done any kind of internal work. We don't really have an intimate relationship with God. We're just going to show up in church and pretend like we know what we're doing. And I've lived that way way too many years, you guys. That life is just a crappy life, I'll be honest with you, when you're just faking your way through life, acting like you know God, but you don't have a clue. And then there are people that really focus on the first four things. I want to prepare really well. I want to know everything I can know about the Bible. I mean, they would kill you in a game of Bible Jeopardy. They know everything. (laughs) about the bible they know what page it's on they know everything about it but it's never changed their life they're just as arrogant just as irritable just as mean as they ever were because they don't let god's word do any transformational work on the inside and they got great preparation but they have zero presentation of what it really means to walk with god so the next four things that you'll see here that jesus lays out they're all things that come out on the outside. And what's wrong number five? What's the first thing that comes out of our life once we hunger and thirst after God and get all this stuff together in our life, in our heart? And by the way, this is a daily process, not just a one-time deal. You roll out of bed every day and say, God, I need you more today than I did yesterday. And God, I humble myself before you. I don't want to be hungry for you today, God. You know what the first thing that comes out of your life and you start living that? What's it say? Blessed are the merciful. Isn't that cool? The first thing that comes out of our life is the thing we just receive from God. We receive grace from God, and now it flows out of us to other people. I got a good friend named Tommy Oaks. He's a great teacher, great storyteller. And we used to do camps and stuff together. And I can remember at some of these student camps. Tommy would walk around to the kids, and he'd just go, Hey, 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 hey. Now, Tommy is from Tennessee. You think I talk funny. Tommy really talks funny. And I pulled him aside one day. I said, Tommy... What's the deal with this little thing you do to kids? That looks so goofy. What is that? He goes, Mike, you know what that means? That means God loves me. Now I love you. <laughs> That's just kind of a natural thing. Jesus said, those who have been forgiven much, they love much. Just can't help it. Because when you know of what the, the way you used to live and God God's grace encounter you in a way like that, you you can't keep it in. In fact, the word for mercy and compassion in the New Testament is an interesting Greek word. One of my favorite Greek words, actually. Sometimes a word sounds exactly like it's like it means. The Greek word is spolokna. Would say that with me. Spilokna. Now you can't you have to say it from way down in your gut. Let's say it again. Spolokna, okay? Now It sounds like you just had some bad Taco Bell and Spolaknot all over the place, doesn't it? But what the word literally means is it's that churning in your gut that won't let you rest until you do something. It's when you see homeless people, when you see hungry kids, when you hear about orphans in Africa, when you hear about people that need clean water, just something churns inside of you and you've got to do something because you just can't be a recipient of mercy. You've got to express it and Spolaknot means that churning in your gut that Eventually, gets into your hands, and it gets into your feet, it gets into your wallet, and you love. There's a great scripture in Romans 12, verse nine, I think it is, from the New Living Translation. It says, "This don't just pretend you love others; really love them." Isn't that a novel concept? My son Derek, when he was in fourth grade, I'll never forget this. I went to eat lunch with him at Mercer County Elementary School. My wife Debbie was uh, serving as a teacher aide there, and and when I got there, Derek was sitting at a table. Uh, with a girl all by himself and the rest of his classmates were all jammed in this other table so tightly that they could barely you know eat their sandwiches i I asked debbie i said what's up with Derek and the girl because i'm thinking way to go Derek, fourth grade way to move man (laughs) and she goes every time i look over there i want to cry i go why she goes that's the girl in the class everybody makes fun of Uh, she's doesn't have very nice clothes and doesn't smell too great and you know they just make fun of her. She's not real smart. And Derek's the only one that'll eat lunch with her. I said, oh, man. So I got so choked up. I couldn't go over and eat with him. I just waited until he got off the school bus that day and met him at the school bus, put my arm around him, I said, hey, hey, D, I was at school today, man. And I got to tell you, I am so proud of you. So why'd you do that? And he just looked at me with that innocent fourth grade look and said, well, dad, didn't you say in your talk that you're supposed to love everybody? Yeah, I said that. I didn't think he might do it. You know, (laughs) he just figured it out, man. Don't just pretend you love others. Like actually do it. And that's what it means to be merciful. And when you live beyond yourself, you guys, that's a deeply soul satisfying life. When you're giving yourself away, giving the same thing away that you just received from God. Now the next rung on this letter says, blessed are the what? What's it say? Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. When I've read that before, I thought, well, that, okay, that's where I get off because there's no way I'm going to be absolutely pure for the rest of my life. I told you living this Christian life was impossible. It's not. I mean, we are blameless in God's sight. We are sinless in God's sight. Doesn't mean we are sinless, but we should sin less as we, as we grow in Christ. But be absolutely pure all the time. Not have an impure thought ever again. No, that's just not going to happen until Jesus calls us home. Because we live in this world, we're going to do battle with that all the time. But I think when Jesus says blessed with the pure in heart, I think this is what he was driving at. I think Jesus was saying blessed are the real. Blessed are those that are just honest with God. You're just sincere with God. You're not trying to cover up stuff anymore. You're not trying to fake him out. You're not trying to run some scam. You're just showing up going, God, you know me. And I love you and you love me and I realize that. And I just want to be honest with you. The word sincere in our English language comes from an interesting Latin word called sincera. And the root of this word, it was used in a, in with ancient uh, potters. Potters would like make uh, vases, uh, bowls, dishes, statues of like Caesar and such. And they would take the, the clay, after they fashioned it, they would put it in the kiln. And then sometimes the, the kiln would cause little tiny cracks to form in the pottery or the statues and such but they didn't want to throw it away so dishonest merchants would take pearly white wax and smear it in the cracks, hiding all the cracks, then they'd pass it off as the genuine article, well someone would you know, get a vase, or they'd get a statue and put it on their front yard and sun would come out and Caesar's nose would fall off and they're going, I got ripped off here, you know honest merchants began labeling their wares sincera which literally means without wax. And I think Jesus is saying here, blessed are you when you come to God without wax. You say, God, here I am, cracks and all. What you see is what you get. You know me inside out, God. Search me, oh God, see if there's something else inside of me that needs to be fixed, God. But I just want to be honest with you. I'm through playing games. I want to be real. With you. And Jesus said, Blessed are you when you're pure in heart, for you will see God. Hard to see God when you're always wearing a mask, isn't it? Now, way up here, trust me, it's way up here, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, the reason I think peacemakers is so far up there is because I think to be the type of person that brings peace and hope to situations, requires a bit of spiritual maturity. It takes you a while to get to be that kind of person. My wife is that type of person. She brings joy and enthusiasm and peace to situations. She can walk into a room and everybody's talking real negative, and she'll change the whole conversation. By the time they leave, the people are full of joy, and it's just its unbelievable. It really I mean, you feel stupid being in a bad mood around her. It's just the way it is. You know, I, when I think of her, I think of how there are two types of people. There are thermometers and thermostats. What's a thermometer do? A thermometer just tells you the climate of the room, right? What's a thermostat do? It controls the climate of the room. And I think Jesus is saying here, blessed are the thermostats. Blessed are the people that can show up in a situation and bring reconciliation. They can bring hope. They bring joy. They bring people together. They take negative things and spin them into a positive thing. They're just, that's the way they are. It says, you know what it says there? It says, blessed are the peacemakers For they'll be known as the children of God. When people do that, they go, oh, that must be one of God's kids right there to bring that kind of peace to a situation. Now walk with me again. We're going to walk the whole thing. Blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. Help me out here. Blessed are they that? mourn over what fact that they're poor in spirit blessed are the meek that means to let go of the wheel of your life say god i want you to reign in my life i give you control of my life it's a humility thing it's a it's a surrender type of phase blessed are those that hunger and thirst after god's right ways that's when you get serious about just hungering after the right things in life and god starts to grow you from the inside out the first thing that comes out of you when you start doing that is what blessed are the merciful then blessed are the pure in heart blessed are the and look what's at the top blessed are the persecuted you gotta be kidding me I I, I did all this I mean I, I turned my life around I started upstream and you're telling me that the very top is blessed are the persecuted thank you so much Jesus I was tracking with you for a while but this is where I jump off you know now why do you think that's all the way to the top here's the deal because when you're on top, people want to knock you off. Some of you are looking at me right now going, i like to shake that ladder and watch his bald head bounce across that stage. <laughs> I think what Jesus was saying here, you know, based on the track record of, of all God's people throughout the centuries. He was saying sometimes when they see godly characteristics in you, they don't know what to do. And sometimes you might get excluded. And sometimes you might get made fun of. Sometimes you might get insults thrown your way, and sometimes, you know what? You might even get persecuted for it. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Yeah, I'll I'll never forget. Uh, I was watching. uh, It's it's back in the eighties. I don't know how many Dodger fans are here, but uh, wow! Um, They they won they won the World Series. I think it was thirty seven. 1937, something like that. No, I actually was, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, it, back in the 80s when he won the World Series, I, I remember watching a late night talk show and the MVP of the series that year was a guy named Earl Hors- Hershiser, And he was a great pitcher for the Dodgers. Now some of you may remember him, some of you probably never heard of him, but he was a really great pitcher. And uh, the last game of the World Series, he struggled in the eighth inning Then in the ninth inning, he comes out and strikes out the side, and they win the World Series. It was a pretty amazing performance. And in this particular talk show, they showed him a clip of him in in between the eighth and ninth inning with his head up against the dugout wall, and he was mumbling to himself. And the host said, what were you mumbling to yourself? What what were you telling yourself to fire yourself up like that so you'd come out and strike out the side? He goes, well, I really wasn't mumbling anything. I was kind of singing singing really are you a singer he goes no i'm not a singer come on sing what you were singing he goes no i'd rather not oh come on man sing then the crowd gets into it come on sing you know so finally he goes okay but remember i'm not a singer he goes this is what i was singing in between the eighth and ninth inning um praise god from whom all blessings flow praise him all creatures here below Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And when he got done, cricket. <laughs> Nobody knew what to do. It was one of the most amazing things I'd ever seen on television. People just sat there like, oh, and then finally somebody goes, And then everybody clapped and stuff, you know, broke the silence. But I I wrote it right down on the margin of my Bible. I got, you can see my old Bible says oral horse right there next to this verse. Because sometimes people just don't know what to do with you when they see Christ in you. They don't know how to handle that. And sometimes they're impressed that you got a faith that strong. And other times they're going like, man, some kind of nerve to say that. Or sometimes, and Jesus says, when that happens in your life, know it's a good thing because they're seeing me in you it's OK. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, because you decided one day you were going to turn your life around and you were going to start to paddle upstream. And now you're paddling in such a fashion that you're paddling toward the source of fresh and pure living water. It's a good day when you turned your life around and said, God, I'm busted. I want to walk your way. And I'm just thinking there's got to be more than just a few of you in a crowd this size, starting in a new year, who are going, "Man, I want to change." To be honest, when I look at my life, I'm just going with the flow, I'm just doing the same thing every day. To be honest, I'm really not walking toward God at all. And if that's you, I want to tell you, you're living way beneath your privilege. God loves you so much. He's just dying for you to turn toward him and start doing life his way. So maybe this is the year where you go, okay, all right, God, I want to walk toward you. We're going to just leave this ladder up here for a while, just as a visual reminder that you can just look at and go, okay, God, what's the next step for me? What, what, where am I? What wrong am I on here? And just ask God to give you the courage to take the next step wherever you're at on your spiritual journey. If you just just beginning this, man, we're so glad you're here. All of us were there at one point in our life. Just searching after something true and something good. Something real. We found it in Jesus Christ. Father, my prayer for everyone here today is that we would become upstream people. God, I know this so long in my life. I just went with the flow and... Uh, well, you know. And God, I just thank you so much that... Someone challenged me with the words written in red and said, this is the way to live. This is where you'll find happiness. This is deep soul satisfaction. God, I'm so grateful for that. And so I pray today, God, that the words of Jesus would fall fresh in our hearts today as we start a new year together, that you would do something on the inside of us. God, that you would do some healing on the inside of us, that you would cause courage to rise up inside of us to say okay I'm going to turn it around I'm going to walk toward God so Father whatever you want to do in our hearts right now we give you total permission to do that in Jesus name we pray I
1: think you can see why we wanted to begin this way right it's going to be an amazing time sharing together and I want to give you a couple thoughts to really walk out of here with along with all the ones that Mike just gave you and that is uh, what he said is true this all builds together it all flows together but every one of them start out with the word blessed or blessed. And in Greek, there are two main words that, for the idea of blessed. One is, though, a word we get to eulogize. It means to speak well of. And that's not what's used here. What's used here is a very different word. It's a, it's a word, makarios, and it literally means happy. I mean, it really is. I, I don't know if you've thought about it. I think sometimes we miss it. Jesus stood and he said, let me tell you why I'm here. Because I want you to be happy. I want you to really, really be happy. And the only way we're going to find it is in God and in a relationship with him. By the way, there isn't a parent around that I know of that doesn't want their kids to be happy. I mean, I look at Tim, my son, and I want him to be happy. I look at Jill, my daughter-in-law, I want her to be happy. And and I I think of things I can do to help them in that. And, And, you know, here's what I don't want you to forget. Please don't forget this. God, and, and we say this all the time, God does not want to be your God. He wants to be your father. You know, believing that he's God. Okay, he is. Knowing him as your dad. That's what he wants. And he looks at you and loves you and cares about you and wants you to be happy. And so where does it start? It starts by you surrendering to him, just like Mike said, and opening up and saying, I, I, I want this with you. I need you. And, and. God's great desires that you would do that with him. And it is a daily thing, a daily thing of saying, I love being in a relationship with you where I live the life you have for me. And, and it's not my will, but it's your will be done. And I, I want to live this. I want to be who I was created to be. And I want to live the life you have for me to live. And I want to experience this. It's not always easy. But in the end, not even in the end, even in the moment, you can be happy. How would you like to be happy in 2010? I hope you'd all write that down. I'm serious. Jesus would want you to. New Year's resolution. I'm going to be genuinely happy. Circumstances won't dictate it. The economy won't dictate it. The acts of others isn't going to dictate it. I'm just going to be happy because I'm going to live God's way. And you know what? If you really want that, that's what he's saying to come and get. And Mike shared today how to get it. Now, if you're brand new to all this, how do though, you really embrace this? How do you experience this? How do you come into a very real relationship, a very real relationship with God as your father? Well, the Bible says there's two things we do to begin this life. Number one, it begins by talking to God. That makes sense. If you want to be in a relationship with them, you need to talk to them. Now, we call that prayer. And in a moment, we're going to go to a time of prayer where I'm going to invite you to talk to God. And if you've never done this before... I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me to talk to God and to say, I, I want you to come in my life. I want you to enter me. I want you to take me. I want your love. I want the life you have for me. I want the cleansing from the things I've done that hurt others, that have hurt me, that have hurt you. I want the forgiveness. And God, I, I want you to do it in such a way that I'm new, that I'm changed. And and you tell him that. And by the way, Jesus also wants you to know something else. He also wants to heal your hurts. He wants to take the pains from things inflicted on you and, and, and take that away. He, he wants to free you from your fears and, and, and free you from any kind of bondage in your life. And, and you can't be happy with that. So he wants to free you and cleanse you. And you say, God, I want it. And, and you're the one who can do it because I know I'm going to start right here and let you do it. I need you. And some of you might, in the midst of that, understand some pain that you think of. And the Lord wants to comfort you. Isn't that amazing? He says, "Why?" when you start to get honest, he says that I want to come and comfort you. You're going to sense God doing that for you today. So it starts by talking to him. And if you've never done this before in a minute, like I said, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting to to whisper a prayer with me. Where you say, Lord, this is it. I'm beginning this new year, this new decade with you. I'm ready to open up. But some of you today may have at one time done that and you've moved away from it. You and God aren't close anymore. At one time you were. Well, I'm going to ask you to renew yourself in him. Just to start all over and say, you know, I more than ever know I need you. So I'm going to talk to you about it. Now, that's how it starts by talking. The second step is by walking. Jesus tells us that if we really mean it. If we really mean it, if you pray this prayer in a moment and mean it, that you would be willing to let other people know. That's why Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my father who's in heaven. So how do you do that? We're going to ask you to do something that will take courage. And I know it's going to take courage. Now, I want to tell you why I'm going to ask you to do this. It's what Jesus would want. But I'm going to tell you that if you pray that prayer in me, and I'm going to ask you after we're done, that you literally stand up from the seat you're in and you make your way to the stairs or make your way to an aisle, come down here and head right over into this room we call our living room. And we want to give you a Bible and some other things and share some things you can do to grow closer to God. But here's the biggest reason I'm asking you to do this, because not only do you tell God, talk to him, but when you start to walk with him, what you're doing is you're confessing him. You're, ex- you're going to experience something and you and God are going to walk together. You're not going to walk alone. Even if you want to bring a friend, you can or a family member, but God's going to be with you. And as you take that step, what you're saying is that's it. It's a new life. It's a new way. I, I'm not holding back. I'm willing to confess this. And you physically are worshiping God by walking down that aisle. And I know it takes courage and I know it gets emotional and gets deep. And by the way, you're going to sense the prayer time connecting with God. You're going to sense a deepening as you walk. And as you make that courageous walk with him, that walk of faith with him, you're going to sense something changing in you. Now, in the Bible, that's what we're always asked to do. Talk to him and walk with him. And so today, if if you want this new life or you want to come back to it, I'm going to ask you to do that. So let's begin by going to God in prayer. Father, I know today that the... We all need to take the truths and embrace the truths and live out the truths of what we shared today. As Mike talked about what Jesus, you talked about. The path to happiness and a truly fulfilling life, a life of satisfaction and joy, but that's happy. And I know you love every person here. There's not a man or a woman or a guy and a girl in this room that you don't love. And I pray right now, Lord, that you'd reveal yourself to us. May we sense your presence. May we sense your love for us. God, may you open our hearts to you and to the life you have for us. And I pray right now for some people who are sitting here that there's pain in their hearts. Just in the past few weeks, some things have occurred and part of why they're here right now. And they need to know, God, I know they need to know that you love them. They may not be real happy with who they are right now, but Lord, you see who they can be. They can be set free, can all change. And I pray it's going to start turning. Pray for a young girl who, Lord, she's so devastated over what she's facing and so afraid. And right now she not only can have hope, she can have you. And right now, as she opens her heart to you, love fills her. Acceptance fills her. She knows she had, she matters she can make it. So I pray right now, Lord, your spirit's helping her. I pray God for the people here today that need to open up to you for the first time. And I pray your spirit's going to help them and sit deep inside. They can sense you being here. And I pray for those that need to come back. So God, today we begin a new decade and I pray a lot of people are going to come back to you and come to you in this moment. And ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, would you pray for anybody who needs to make this decision? But here's the question. Do you want to? Do you want to give your life to him? Do you want this life with him? Do you want his love? If so, will you pray this prayer with me? Do you really know him? If not, open up to him because he wants to know you. If you want to know him and you want to know the life you are always meant to live, come to him now. And do it by talking to him. So right now, if you're ready to do this, if you're ready to commit or recommit your life to Christ and experience his love in an amazing, real and personal way, say these words with me. Let's pray this together. Just whisper it right where you're sitting. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts. To free me from my fear. To make me alive. To make me new. To make me yours. And I say yes. I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love. And fill me with your spirit. And help me be who you created me to be. And to live the life you have for me to live. In this I pray. In Jesus name. Amen. Man if you pray that today. Praise God. I mean praise God if you said those words to him.